Hello and welcome to the Story X Story podcast, where we discuss stories across pop culture, plus give you advice on creating your own. It's episode number 51, and I am your co-host, Nigel. I'm Tazi, content creator and co-host. Uh, we are welcoming back for the, uh, insert number here, uh, time, <laughs> <laughs> presenter and content creator, Trista Bites. Welcome back to the show for the insert number of times here. Hello, it is good to be here for the insert number of times plus one that I've been here. <laughs> That's cool. What I do know is that Bex was last with us for the Ready Player One discussion, episode number 42. Uh, e even if you didn't enjoy that film, you should listen for the uh, epic rants from Tazzy. So, <laughs> yeah, just... I think calling that a discussion is a, is a yeah. very polite way of saying it. The <laughs> Tazzy rants yeah. for a two hour show. We just show. stepped aside. We were there for more support. <laughs> Um, for, for Tazzy, so you could check that well, out. We have a Ready Player 2 to look forward to, don't we? So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can definitely uh, see how that's going to go. Um, <laughs> so you can look forward to that. And you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts uh, and on Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, you can also send us your feedback and questions to feedback at myamada.com or on social media, at MyMeta on Twitter, at MyMetaTees on Instagram, or at Tazzy on both. So before we get into our main discussion for today, I want to give a quick update with what's happening in the MyMeta universe. We are nearing the end of a, well, a crazy year, but also uh, season two of Story X Story. Uh, we will be taking a recording break over January and then returning in February with more episodes uh, and more of what you've hopefully enjoyed up until this part. So actually we'll, we'll have some like bonus episodes and stuff going over January, but yeah, we'll be taking the actual recording break and then coming back in February. But for December, which we are very much in, uh, I'm aware of that now, we have <laughs> a bunch of um, episodes to come and live stream and some gamepad uh, news. So we have an end of year live stream that is going to come on the 12th of um, December. December. See, I'll, <laughs> I keep getting my months uh, <laughs> mixed up, man. Um, I know so, you're yeah, eager to get into 2021. I'm so, but... <laughs> so eager to leave this all behind. <laughs> um, so on the 12th of December, by the time you are listening to this, we'll have already have had that live stream, but we'll be... Uh, putting an episode up in our podcast feed um, as different episodes uh, over our break. So if you weren't able to catch it live, uh, you can still, uh, you'll still be able to hear that uh, over the next month or so. Um, we've also got a best of episode. We're trying something new. I'm going to put together some of the best insight, the debate, uh, the rants, uh, bloopers uh, from a year of story discussion. So look forward to that on Christmas Day. Uh, just before that, on December the 21st, we'll have another live stream, which will be going over The Last of Us Part 2, which may or not may not be a controversial episode. We don't know. You have to tune in to find out. But we'll be joined by Mr. Midas, who was with us on um, an earlier episode to discuss the first part of that story. And we are bringing him back to discuss the latest and even more controversial, apparently, um, part to the Naughty Dog uh, series. 
and just in general we have more things to come including uh, gamepad online which is uh, next year where i'm at and other gamepad live streams over january so you know you can't get rid of us that easily so yeah please do follow us on twitch and jump in our discord um to catch all of that discussion was the other thing oh and then what i should also note is we have our gamepad announcement video on youtube right now so me and tazzy are just giving a few um news and announcements of what is happening in the my matter universe and with gamepad so you can check that out we'll put a link to that in the show notes so let's get to our main discussion Today we're going to be talking about the show, the anime show, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Just to emphasize that we're going to be doing Brotherhood, and I, I understand that's the correct one, and that's why we're going to be talking about it uh, today. So it's um, an anime series that is adapted from the Full Metal Alchemist manga by Hiromu Arakawa. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, and ran, um, ran for 64 episodes between 2009 to 2010 so spoiler alert we're going to be discussing stuff from all 64 episodes so you have been warned uh before we get into the debate and there's a lot to pick apart uh from this um i'm just going to give a quick story recap for those that just might need a bit of refreshing so this is a story that follows brothers edward and alphonse elric who have been raised by their mother trisha in a remote village in the country of amestris the boys show an affinity for alchemy but when trisha dies of a lingering illness they decide to try to bring back their mother with alchemy However, human transmutation is a taboo in alchemy and in the failed transmutation, Al's body is completely obliterated and Ed loses his left leg. In an attempt to keep his brother alive, Ed sacrifices his right arm to bring Al's soul back and bonds it to a suit of armor. So after Edward receives an automale prosthetic, they head to the capital city to become government-sanctioned state alchemist and Ed is dubbed the full metal alchemist which actually did confuse me on the first episode watching we'll get to that in a bit <laughs> by the state military uh, the brothers then begin their quest to regain their full bodies back through the fabled philosopher's stone but discover a deep government conspiracy to hide the true nature of the stone and that's where we're gonna get into the discussion uh, so what i want to know first is uh as usual things like this i am late to the party so i just finished the this uh the show like this year like a month ago or something but um when did you guys first watch and what did you think at the time so uh bex we'll start with you yeah i first watched um brotherhood got it must be nine years ago maybe and then i watched it through another time um about a year and a half or so ago but it is something that I can kind of endlessly rewatch. And the first time I watched it through, I watched it through with subtitles. And the second time I was showing it to a friend who doesn't do so well with subtitles. So I've watched <laughs> both the subtitled and the dubbed iterations. Oh, do you have a preference? Actually, the dub is really, really, really good. They did an excellent job on it. Um, I have a slight bias to a couple of the voice actors used, especially for the homunculi characters that are some of my favourites partly because I just slightly prefer those voices or also perhaps because they're the first people 
you know that I relate to that character from because I saw the the the, the subtitled version first. But okay. the dub is really really good, and you do get some anime series where you kind of watch it in English and go, they've butchered it, they've cast the wrong people, they've dumbed it down, they've changed something, they've lost something. But they did an excellent job with the translation for Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. So if you're someone who's not sure about watching things like that because of because of the subtitles, then this is definitely one where you don't need to worry you're missing something by watching the dub, which is always lovely to see. Cool. Mm-hmm. How about you, Tazzy? Uh, I can't remember when the first time <laughs> I watched it was. Uh, I, I, yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't <laughs> like, know. It was like sometime during between the creation of the universe and the uh, now. I think we can narrow yeah. it down to sometime a... from the creation of the series yeah. <laughs> and now. <just> to... <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I think we can narrow yeah. it a little bit. I feel like I must have watched it not long after it finished or maybe i started watching it closer to when it finished uh i don't know <laughs> sometimes near, nearer <laughs> yeah. to the time of it and, and then i'm in the middle of re-watching it now so i'm like oh no am i like halfway through i think um so yeah uh and the i the, the my like impression of first watching it and watching it now is like pretty much the same um because i just really enjoy like the story's so gripping and like has so many it's so deep but then the thing that i love so much about formal alchemist is like the animation techniques and the comedic timing and that's just like what brings it in like this anime is so sad but that comedic timing and that animation style just makes it so good (laughs) yeah it has a really good balance like every character is balanced everyone has a backstory everyone feels like a fully fleshed out character and even in the deepest darkest times in the worst parts of your life you know you're still going to see like someone trips over and it's funny and they manage to keep hold of that so the characters they are quite young some of them and they still do have you know, that childish sense of humor, even though in other ways they have the weight of the world on their shoulders. And it makes everyone so much more believable and so much more relatable that they can have those moments of two young brothers giggling to each other while at the same time knowing that, you know, that they are trying to to save people's lives. They're trying to undo the sins they have done themselves and and, uh, the dark situations they've witnessed. And it just makes it so much more of a well-rounded, well-written thing. And it's one of the reasons why you probably won't find anyone's top anime ever lists, you know, that doesn't include this. It's on pretty much everyone's top 10 or top 20 recommendations without fail. Yeah, I can, mm. I can see that. It is, um, I remember when I, because I tried to watch it once and I got a few episodes in and I did that thing where you kind of watch while doing something else and quickly got the impression actually there's a lot going on in here i need to i need to be fully focused when i'm watching this so i kind of paused and then came back to it at a later time when i can mm. fully concentrate and yeah. it's it's just because it is that uh like that high concept uh show like it, it there's a lot going on and there's a lot of uh very deep themes like and i, I feel like the overriding one is this idea of the relationship between like science and religion which i felt was quite interesting and you see in uh well not that i've seen every anime but i feel like a lot of anime that that idea of 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 gods or god and different interpretations of that and this kind of does that but then challenges it but then 
challenges the challenge <laughs> to it in terms of like both science and religion get challenged in this and sort of the, the blind devotion to both almost and yeah i don't know what what you both thought of of that um that kind of high concept and the approach that this show has taken to tackling that debate in particular yeah well they've they take a sort of deep dive look into the reality of a world where there is a type of magic and having the ability to do alchemy, which in this particular version is slightly different than alchemy as we know the term historically, but it's based on a law of equivalent exchange. So it is a science, but also it can be mistaken for a mystical power or a religion. Yet it does have this deeply mystical element with the, you know, the door, you know, the truth and, and, and the doors mm. and these kind of other elements to it. So it is showing that blurry line and also sort of examining that at what point does science become magic if you just don't understand it and what happens when people try to exploit that what happens when people misuse it and how that 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 use of alchemy permeates every single part of their society it isn't just something that a few magical wizards have it's something that people will use to to make wares they sell in a market store it's something that some people will use to try and claim they are gods and misuse and um take over small villages who don't know about <laughs> the science behind it it's it's it has every different facet and mm -hmm. you can see how much planning went into thinking okay what would a place like this which is sort of loosely vaguely based on a sort of imagined European, possibly German kind of setting in a sort of loosely based, very much in the past kind of way. You know, you're sort of thinking more steam trains and things than, than modern tech. Yeah. And how would that society work and how would it be changed by having these abilities and the depth to which they go into exploring that and how all different types of people would utilize it and the consequences of that and and what every side thinks of the other it's just yeah. it's just phenomenal the sort of the amount of discussions they have without fully sort of saying anything is is right or wrong they are just saying this is power what it absolute is. power can corrupt absolutely but it is down to the people involved you know the person who wields the sword determines what the sword does and to keep that sort of balanced view it's really, really difficult to do. It's a much easier story to write as, oh, the people with fire are bad and the people with this are good. You know, it's mm. much easier to just make it into, you know, the light and the dark side kind of things. And taking this route, they made something much more believable and relatable, but also something that's much more difficult to pull off. And to add on to that, also like how how it's used in different areas of the world, like with the different countries, obviously, uh, coming in to play and it being known in a different way and how that correlates and could almost be sort of reflective of religions that have common themes but are different that have like uh commonalities and, and are different and then this is like everyone's everyone's got a bit of something <laughs> linked to to alchemy it really does and like even like Bex says the idea of not necessarily taking a side so when you first watch it especially some of the characters like scar for example you get like a an extreme view uh, but even in the in the brother's first encounter like major encounter with that religious leader uh father cornello who is what is later to be proven using the philosopher's stone but people think you know he's some i guess deity in in a sense and it's the brothers that kind of uncover the truth 
um, and the, the idea of the truth is it comes up uh, a lot in this but it's the idea that the brothers come in with almost like a, a skepticism to religion and you think because they are alchemists they sort of believe in science and i just realized i'm using i'm sounding like prime minister now believe in science um so they, they have this belief but even as the story unfolds they have that checked so they start to be skeptical of their own beliefs so it's very much a show that like you say it it, it looks at both sides from different perspectives and that's so i i really like that in a story and, and that's what kind of made me think that actually i need to be pay, paying attention uh to what's going on it very much challenges all of the things they think and you know, our main protagonists are are not always right. The primary thing they want originally, the Philosopher's Stones, turns out that they don't, you know, once they know what that is, that changes yeah. their their view on it. And they are they have their their goals challenged, they have their beliefs challenged, and they, you know, they they will uh, you know have to think about do they want to change the goalposts? Do they want to to change the way they view this? And it really, really makes those characters and everyone around them and makes us by extension sort of evaluate any assumptions they might make. So things that appear to be kind of like, you know, the magic bullet, like the Philosopher's Stone, like mm. everything else, it comes with a price and they have to decide if they're okay with that or not. And that just is so much more of a complicated relationship between, you know, sort of like morals and science and what you can do versus what you should do than a lot of shows are sort of willing to go into, or in any case, articulate as well as this show does. And I like the fact that um, Ed and Al do have, like they do have strong morals. They have strong morals that they don't bend. And then they have their beliefs, which change. Right. With understanding, not like, oh, we're we just going to change it. It's like, oh, we now understand more. Um, things aren't as we thought we believed they were uh, but like our morals are still there and that hasn't changed yeah they do have them questioned at various points but you do see kind of you know they are even if sometimes they do bend things or get things wrong or or, or do things they they will show regret for those they will try and talk others down Mm. Uh, their original sin is effectively, you know, sort of a, a desperate childish selfishness. And by the end, they've they've learned self-sacrifice and they've learned understanding and to make peace with things that happen in their life rather than um, being willing to, to sacrifice anything as they were at the very start of the story yeah. to get something that they want back. Yeah. You know, they, they, they go from characters who just would do anything to be willing to make their own pain stop to, to people on, effectively a exceedingly long, somewhat harsh redemption arc for the actual small <laughs> children. <laughs> and um, it's written through various things. They, yeah. they witness a lot of things which are unforgivable. They are, you know, it's that kind of like, you, you get that sense of almost from the mouths of babes, but not because they've had a lot of their childhood taken from them by, you know, the responsibilities they have and, and the horrors they've seen. And they mm. have to be the ones that uncover things that are happening with the government and understand a lot more about the history of their their own country and that the fact their country's yeah. committed genocides and no, there's um, like really big themes like heavy themes. Yeah, the fact that they never because I feel like it's, especially with anime, it happens a lot where it's like, oh, this character has like been through a lot way younger than they should, and that's never touched. It's just like, oh, they're but. 
in this, it's const- we're constantly reminded that they are children. Yeah, that's true. Like yeah. this is a child. This is a ch- we've left a child on the battlefield. Like they are children in situations, and it's constantly questioned by their their colleagues and their higher ups. Like, is this okay for children to be exposed to? And it's like, but they've been through so much. Like, it's not. Are we exposed? They're going to want to know. Like, it's always this balance between how much do we treat treat them like children and how much do we not and like how do we recognize that they are children but they yeah, kind they of are, have, but they're equally they've got their eyes open and they're not stupid there's they sort of realize a lot of the adult characters especially those who've been through like the ishtarian war and have had to kill and or have you know seen the things their government is capable of they start to realize that there's no point trying to to hide and protect these these children from from the truth because they they've seen too much and they understand too much and maybe you know children pick up on things a lot more than we would than we would like them to in some cases mm-hmm. and you know they 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 really sort of tread that fine line of sort of losing their youth versus um just the fact that they are very intelligent and very observant and i think it you know that kind of thing reminds you that children know a lot more than people give them credit for um mm-hmm. just because they can't always articulate what they're aware of and um you sort of watch that happening to these, you know, young young people in real time. Because at the beginning of the series, um, or at least when Edward becomes a, a state alchemist, he's thirteen, and Alphonse is is a couple of years younger than him, and mm. you you just kind of see their eyes being open to, you know, oh, our beautiful country is actually built on these horrors, and then you see equally with some of the other countries and some of the other things that that everyone's kind of the same. And I really love series that do that. It's like they present you with different sides and they say like, well, actually, in some ways, they're different sides of the same coin. There are good people and bad people on both sides of this war, on both sides of this equation. And you sort of see their development and learning about what, you know, the nature of humanity in the world and then their own humanity. And then I start to wonder how they've got so much into this show. I know. It's like, yeah, it's like, it's very difficult to find anything bad to say about the show. It's like the worst thing you could kind of say about it is they kind of slightly rush through and condense some of the beginning for like the first sort of like, I don't know, 10 to 13 episodes. But that's effectively because there's only five years between this series and the series before. So most people watching this one had already seen a series. Um, and although the original version was done before the manga was finished and just goes off completely in its own direction, uh, which I've some heard. people are a huge fan of, um, but it is a, it was written, you know, without without being connected to the manga at all. The rest of that series, but for a lot of people, they'd already seen that first version, so mm. they do kind of slightly condense the beginning of Brotherhood. But you know, people people knew the story. The first series was huge. The manga was huge. It was really popular, and uh, it's the quickest kind of remake cycle you're going to see. Five years is a very short time to to redo, yeah. you know, a big. That's series. almost an admission that we we messed up that, that first mm-hmm. time. Yeah, it, it's doing. They wanted to do it again with the full story. Partly, presumably, somebody uh, read the manga and saw that it was absolutely epic, and um, that what they'd done the first time, you know, has its own merits, has its own interesting things, um, but. It just it didn't do the manga justice at all. And so the only bad thing you can really say about Brotherhood is it kind of slightly rushes some introductions and stuff at the beginning. But in context, is that really a negative? Because if everyone had seen the original adaptation, you'd only be boring them for 24 episodes if you did all of the stories at the beginning of the manga again. Because if they they start pretty similarly. I don't think it's necessary like a 
bad thing. Like I I think I've watched a bit of the other four Michael Mel. Have I watched all of it? I don't know. Like I, it's just not the one I remember, you know? <laughs> yeah. Did you see them going through the door into the human world in World War One? I? I don't know. Like I can't remember. You'd remember, I think, because it is no, quite you've a not met my memory. <laughs> <laughs> You've not met my memory. No, it's I really just don't. Full of Ready Player One. <laughs> yeah, so I I'm pretty sure I watched all of it. Either way, uh, it was after I initially watched Brotherhood, and I don't feel like you're missing out on anything by it being fast. I think this is so well put together that it like doesn't matter. It's like. Yeah, I'm trying to find a negative. It would be nice to be able to say I'm giving this a balanced <laughs> review rather than just, you know, we'll clearly dig do. its praises I think it's negative hour. is that it's, and it's kind of like an age thing, but there's some moments where I definitely didn't pick up on the first time watching it that I'm picking up on now that I'm like, did they really just say that? <laughs> that things like, I don't. Very subtle, like, racism well, and they like are just, presenting their nation is supposed to be very, you know, the nations do have a lot of xenophobia. They they massacre yeah. an entire alternate race. So some of that stuff is intentional because that is one of the things they uncover is that they are incredibly like, you know, past brutal kind of actions to their neighboring. Um, yeah, the neighboring races. Yeah. But I feel like these are not those intentional things. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> like There's just some Stop things that you would not you would not write into something now but it's not it's not like that bad it's just a very subtle thing that you're like uh, maybe that could be worded slightly different <laughs> <laughs> um which i literally only noticed this time round, and i feel like that is also like an in context of when something is made and what you know, as just a society that we sort of yeah. realise. And which translation as well. I'd yeah, be curious. Because exactly. I've seen both versions, so I'm curious to, I've seen to both go through well. and find these things. <laughs> yeah, look, that's the thing. I think both times I've watched, I've like flipped between subbed and dubbed. Okay. Because it just depends, like it's such a long, well, not a massively long series, but it's quite a lengthy and in-depth series. So it depends, like I want to watch it. Am I able to watch it? and sit there and read the subtitles or do I have stuff to do <laughs> so I like flip between both times around so I would say that like so I like I said I came into this new so I, w- I was told ahead of time watch Brotherhood because the other one goes in some weird places so I came into this new so that to that uh Bex's point about the the rush early on I think that was part of my I was gonna say not issue but just part of the reason why I didn't quite lock onto it initially because there's just a lot, like, there's a lot of characters here. And particularly early on, you don't realise that actually all of them are important. <laughs> um, but it kind of throws a lot at you uh, in terms of, like, the the world building. And what I would say, though, is that it... Because I, I have this sort of ongoing thing with anime, uh, manga, and exposition. Uh, because I feel, to a certain extent, uh, anime and manga get a lot of... Uh, a lot of a pass for some very expositional dialogue in uh, mm-hmm. in a lot of shows. Some very and, like budget saving talking heads explaining the last fifty years of their history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And even on the last uh, show, I was saying about uh, the Seven Deadly Sins that in the later season I'm watching, it just for some reason it just 
I know it, I think it was there before, I'm pretty sure it was, but for whatever reason, the latest series kind of made me think about that more because a lot of the, not just like history, but just character states just being explained. But what Formal Alchemist does, in my opinion, is it ties the exposition to emotion and experience. So you learn about the the world and the people through exposition as you know as a storyteller you have to get some of that in there because people need to know what's going on but ties it in a way that is meaningful and more uh and more easy to take in without being sort of hit over the head with here's a block of text or here's some dialogue that you need to know so for example even the idea of the law of equivalent exchange which is like the fundamental alchemist rule um that is sort of repeated over and over again you need to know it because you need to know the consequences and everything, but you're introduced to it by the the one taboo that the brothers do, which is to try and bring back someone from the dead, and that is a you know really like visceral emotional thing. So you as a viewer, like you understand, okay, I understand that law. I understand what it means to break that law. So I, I've got the information, but it's been tied to some kind of um, meaning in the characters uh, and emotion. And I thought that was pretty well done. And then even the, with like the locations and the way the institutions work. So you get characters that kind of represent that. So when Scar comes along and he's just out here, like just revenge, just exacting revenge on, on everyone. Um, you learn about the, uh, the Ishval territory. You, you learn what happened before in terms of the genocide because he represents that. So he's out here for revenge because of the genocide and then over time you learn through the other characters so i felt it did a, did a good job of getting across because it, it's its own world so you need to explain all these uh, all these rules uh, but it did a good job of, of tying it to experiences that i can see or characters that whose actions i can see so i understand the information but i'm in the story as well yeah, I think as well because they challenge some of that information. So Scar's very rigid beliefs on who were good and who were bad and um, his own actions all being justified and he later questions that. And um, by establishing the laws of you know equal exchange and then it appears like the Philosopher's Stone somehow negates that. So they aren't just sort of saying, oh, here's the thing and this is how it is. It's like, here's the thing. Why does this seem to break that rule? So because it's always seems to be tied to a change or a breaking of the rule or something that has a severe emotional impact on the characters. It doesn't ever feel like you're just being info dumped because it always feels like that's living, breathing, adapting yes. and changing information as well. So I think that also helps yeah, make it something that breathes life into this. the world. Yeah, it's always related to the plot and the world. It's always necessary. And yeah, it's always questioned and explored. And I think another thing they do with it is like they layer it. So you don't it's not just suddenly like oh here's all of this information about the Ishvalans like you've heard the the word Ishvalans before because it's referred to from the get-go yes. of like you and Ishval for like uh, the commanders and stuff like it's constantly and then you build it's built on rather than it just suddenly being like expo dump it's like drip fed mm. and then you're like what is that thing that they keep going on about and then it's like oh okay and mm. like slowly explained by again like the emotional connection or someone's story and then you hear it from different sides as well 
Yeah, so you see like the kind of victory over the Ishvalians shown in some ways from the military's perspective as like this big, you know, success that they won and and um, this military victory. And then you see the effect on the individuals mm. and what it did to them. And then, of course, that ties in with Winry's parents and they'd gone out there to tend to the wounded and how that went for them. So you've got all these different characters connected to the events, the different inputs and how things might be explained the first time around and not necessarily how they turn out to be when you look at the sort of the bigger picture and that kind of notion of the truth that sort of runs through the whole series. So you sort of see things as the, you know, the characters as as Ed and Alphonse learn them. And you Mm -hmm. see as those things change and their understanding of them changes and i think that helps a lot because if you give an exposition it's just a list of facts that's nowhere near as as fun or engaging as if you're given something and it's a little bit you know there's lots there's so much foreshadowing in the series it's kind of like yes this war was great where we won and you kind of see like characters sort of looking like this was really traumatic and we're not allowed to talk about this here so you get this sense of like hmm maybe you know the people who are telling us this especially when they're spinning it so they are the super good guys Maybe it's in their advantage to exposition it in this way to the character and not just an info dump. It's actually building the personality of the people giving us the information as well. And everyone in the show like is constantly being sort of developed and and like you see everyone's internal struggles and everyone's like moral struggles with whatever role they've played because everyone has played a role. <laughs> And it's just so interesting. Like, no to one s- is unspared. <laughs> yeah. This. And it's so interesting to see that and, you know, people's resolves and and what people thought were good, questioned, and all the secret secret stuff. <laughs> just <laughs> And I think that's the way to go about it with like exposition, because this is, you know, completely different um no, not completely different medium, but uh, when I think about exposition, I think about something like the the Matrix, which has a lot of exposition. Um, but I was watching a a video. Uh, I'm gonna see if I can remember what it is and then put it in the show notes. But it, it explained like if you remember that first scene of of the Matrix where Trinity enters this building and she's being chased by police, and then suddenly she's she's hovering in the air and she's doing all this all this stuff and then she's doing these amazing like gravity defying uh, feats and it raises questions in your mind so like you say with the kind of foreshadowing is a similar thing where when you come and provide that information now i as someone who's experienced the story i want to know so i want to know what is going on that's making you do you do that so i feel that's a good way to go about exposition where you're you answer questions people want to know and not questions that you think people need to know um for your story and i think this is a yeah this is a good way so i, I really appreciated how it did that and how it layered like you say tazzy layered them uh, through the characters because when i was first watching it um or in that those early few episodes like i said there's a lot of characters so and they're they're interesting they're like okay this guy you've got the, the brothers you've got you know uh roy mustang who i love by the way I know we're going to get into him. Um, so he's just like, you know, he's got this ambition thing going on. Okay, cool. You've got Scar, he's out for revenge. Cool, got that. Uh, you've got uh, Alex uh, Armstrong, who's the animate, the walking anime trope. <laughs> it almost feels <laughs> like. Um, but then that all gets changed. And my opinion of people sort of like develop because everyone gets developed. And it's not just the brothers, like everyone gets developed in the show. And I thought that was just amazing to do that 
with so many different characters even the the homunculi who are just like the the antagonists the bad guys you start to understand where they're where they're coming from really mm. you know so to do that in i mean 64 episodes sounds like a lot but it's not a lot to pack all that in yeah and the fact that you know two of my favorite characters are bad guys <laughs> In <laughs> fact, I'd go to far and say my two favourite characters. Let's not pretend that any of the, uh, the the good guys are my favourite characters. My two favourite characters are both homunculi. Okay, tell us about Which that. Are, yeah, envy and greed. Okay, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're, mm-hmm. They're, yeah they yeah. are clearly just two, and and the arcs that both of them go through are just phenomenal, and they're both incredibly lovable, but also trying to kill our heroes. <laughs> And it's sort of seeing how how they're actually, you know, as much as they are the villains, they are also pawns. Yes. And uh, it's kind of, you know, it's one of those like, you know, I'm not bad, I'm drawn that way kind of thing. Um, they they are literally have been created to be what they are doing. They don't have that much freedom. And a lot of their bravado and a lot of their power is given to them because they actually are shackled. And I like the way that as well as being these fully formed characters, they also all embody the sin that they have been, you know, created to to take upon. So they are somewhat slave to the only emotion they've been given as well and how they explore all of those and how they show that maybe those sins are not just terrible things you should throw away. Mm-hmm. You know, Envy's greatest thing he he's jealous of is the love and compassion and connection between different humans because mm. no one ever he just loved him. Understand it. He just he doesn't understand it. It's so alien and he's lashing out like a child because he literally wasn't created that long ago. And um he 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 is reacting to those things around him and sort of shows the good and bad to to that kind of thing and the same with greed greed is an amazing character and by the end you know sort of like connecting up with with lynn and becoming sort of a, a someone slightly more complicated by combining that singular driving force with a more well-rounded personality is actually an amazing character and you're like actually the greed here isn't just saying wanting of other people's things it's saying wanting to be the best you can wanting to push forward wanting to be your own person and not accepting anything else and it's that greed and desire for achieving your own goals and they're not actually a bad person despite the fact they're one of the seven deadly sins and I thought they did that so wonderfully well. And um, yeah, so my two favorite characters are both bad guys. And that shows you a little bit about how much screen time development and real personality that they gave to what were just technically monsters embodying the sins who were the pawns of the main big bad. And because they could have so easily just made the homunculi like literal pawns that have no real story of their own and no real character of their own but they're also they're so deep for what they are i i have feelings for them all like i (laughs) I, there's points where i like maybe like a tiny bit empathize with some of them and they're just i don't know like they're so well put together for something that could just be just be like some evil villain with no like there's actual human villains in stories that have less humanity than these yes. <laughs> these, these yeah, homunculi that have been based on seven deadly sins like yeah well the fact that they play with them as well and sloth is technically the fastest 
of all of the, yeah. <laughs> the homunculi. He's just, it isn't, you know, he is sloth, but he is lethargic and he is sad. And you can kind of feel this sadness and this just that he's just given up and given in. And mm. you feel really sorry for him. He's literally shackled for most of the series and doesn't really speak and doesn't really get to do anything he wants because he's held back by his own very nature. And um, you kind of get the feeling that if given a chance, if if given the ability to sort of actually be their own people, that they could sort of develop more and they could have been full sort of more well-rounded characters. And it's only really greed that gets that chance. So you sort of yeah. feel when you lose most of the other ones, pride, not so much, um, but, <laughs> uh, because, you know, not everyone being a full well-rounded person makes them nice. But with quite a few of the others, you you kind of do feel like if they were given the same chance that that greed was, that they could have been you know, awesome people, maybe even productive members of society and not just evil <laughs> yeah. antagonist based, you know, named after a theme monsters. And that's something that's very, very difficult to achieve. And I will never stop being sad that, uh, that the MV, you know, went out the way they did literally, you know, just not understanding, just, just jealous and crying to the end, reduced to this tiny little pathetic form, so incredibly self-aware of their own lack, yet completely not understanding how to do anything about it. And I just I just wanted to like pick him up and sort of carry him off and take care of him, even though he's like, you know, killed and eaten lots of people. Um <laughs> yep, he did, he did do that, I will say a... they they should have they should have squashed him the first time. I don't know why did they let him Get, get that second chance um they should have well, because they, he, they could see a person there they didn't just see a monster it's tantamount to showing how much humanity in the homunculi that the main characters could see that you know if they'd just done the same they could have you know tried to have actually properly killed greed and they True. didn't and look yeah. what happened with greed and how greed greed's arc ends um and the same could have been true of of envy um but he was his own worst enemy at the end. Envy didn't mm. need to die. He didn't need to go out the way he did, but because he was so jealous and so childish, he it basically wrote himself into a corner with his own life in a way that mm. greed didn't. So it does kind of showing that the sins are their own enemies to a certain extent um, because he totally, you know, they would have let him live. They would have been totally cool with him if he just stopped, you know, the, the eating people and stuff. That slight character flaw. Yeah, um, it was it was his, you know, refusal to to be able to see beyond that, that that meant that he caused his own downfall. Um, he was too jealous and he was too aware of his own status as a as a monster and needing because of that envy, needing to feel superior to humans when actually all he felt was envy of the, the love and things they had that he couldn't experience. Yeah, he, mm. he made it so he couldn't survive himself that, you know, they were you could see the characters being visibly sad about what happened to them even though they had just been fighting him because he was trying to kill them all they were still sad to see him go out that way because they know the things that he could never understand and his limitations that just yeah just just basically his own worst enemy bless him um just i will never totally. stop being sad that he didn't yeah. get a redemption arc <laughs> But I, I was um I wanted to dig into some of the characters, but I wanted to uh, mention another theme and then uh, get to Mustang, who I uh, <laughs> uh, was one of my favorites. Is that this idea of the uh, the the quest for truth and truth, almost like capital T truth, being an overriding uh, theme in this because the it's the truth that hit the characters and changed the story. So 
we mentioned you know at the beginning we've got the the two brothers uh ed and al are on a search for the philosopher's stone to bring back their bodies because they they've they understand that this is the thing that's going to do it and then they learn the truth about it that it's made from people's souls and the sacrifice of not just like one but a mass of human life that's when their their morals come into like we can't use this there must be another way so it's like that that truth and even with the you know we touched on the the Ishvalan war uh, of extermination of how early on from state military you you hear that you know we did the right thing or we had to do this and then you see um you see scar and it kind of makes you question sort of what happened and one of those characters that you know that goes through that kind of deep uh, introspection is is Roy Mustang who when he's first introduced, he he has this ambition. So he wants to be the the king. The ways the king they call it the Führer. Did they use that term? Yeah, it's called the Führer, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the, again linked to like sort of yeah you know, uh, pre World War Two Germany is um he just wants to be at the top, and then you start to see like what I like about him is he he has this ambition. So he makes that clear. Then you understand why he has that mm. ambition and you start to see sort of what he did in the Ishvan war and he his power is like you know he's, he's called the flame alchemist so he, he snaps his fingers and he can direct uh flame with like you know extreme precision and he's used that in this extermination of a people and he talks about like yeah the humanity of that and and the suffering that he i guess there's almost like was it post-traumatic stress um disorder and he's kind of channeled that in this way. But in, in another way, he's clear that he doesn't want to lose his humanity. And that's kind of mirrored with um, King Bradley, who isn't human, as they later find out, but speaks about humans in such like derogatory terms. And Roy Mustang, like almost, he never loses that. He comes close when he sort of takes out uh, Envy, um, but he understands the need for others other humans around him so he's very much a leader of people so he's got his his team that trust him and are loyal to him and the way he treats them and you see the relationship between the two particularly uh with hawkeye you kind of it, it humanizes him even though he's done this very inhumane act plus his his flame power is really cool it's just cool to see him like snap his fingers <laughs> and, unless it's as, raining <laughs> yeah that, that is the one <laughs> weakness yeah. Well, they're very, very good in this as an aside. They're exceedingly good at making sure nobody is OP. Yeah. Mm. You know, yeah, it's yeah. it's like um, Edward can do alchemy without having to do any symbols and things like that. He is cause partly because he is, his experiences and things, which could make him just unstoppable. But he's young and headstrong and single-minded in places and doesn't have the experience. And that means he can be outwitted and he can be beaten by people who can't do things that he can but have just practiced and honed their skill better. Yeah, and he's very headstrong. They did a well. really good job in making sure that, yeah, somebody who could summon fire, summon fire from out of thin air is not immediately super saiyan on defeating everyone else. <laughs> it's they, they make sure that everyone is is balanced. And that, again, is another interesting feat. And yeah, that's somewhere where they had to do it because sum, summoning fire is... Uh... I know, how do you stop that? <laughs> yeah. And he also needs the gloves as indoors. well. That was the other thing. Or he needs the 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 he needs a symbol on him. Yeah, symbol, yeah. yeah, he chooses to do that with a glove because it looks just a cool. style. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a style choice. 
and it works. It's very stylish. I'll give it to him. Cosplayers everywhere had something to make. <laughs> there were moments in that where I was just like, get the glove, get the glove. <laughs> Don't waste any time, get that glove out. And the way like they animate him like putting on his glove when something's about to go down and yeah. it's like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> the glove's on. <laughs> I was, yeah, I love that. Um, oh, was it? oh, yeah, so like I said, like, that, the idea of the, the quest for truth or another truth that comes out is the the truth behind father and his relationship to van hohenheim and van hohenheim's relationship to ed and alphonse like again there's so much to that is unpacked by that so we discover that father is like so he's he's like the first homunculi that just wants ultimate power and splits off the the seven sins as different homunculi um, and he also has previous with uh, Van Hohenheim, who is Ed's and uh, Alphonse's father, who leaves them, and they don't know why. They learn later on. There's like, there's just so much to unpack. Like even as I'm explaining, I'm like, how did they get that into into this number of episodes? Because that's not even the whole whole thing. What did you think of uh, Van Hohenheim? Because I thought he was quite. An, he wasn't my favorite character, but his his role in the story thought was quite an, uh, an intriguing one. I think they did a good job to present him as something other than long lost estranged father is evil. I think they did a good job of giving him a well-rounded character as well, even though he wasn't someone that could particularly be redeemed. Uh, and even though we didn't agree with his motivations, we didn't agree with his beliefs or his actions, um, you could understand why in his mind what he was doing was the right thing to do. And I think that's quite a difficult balance to to make with a character who's basically just done a lot of despicable things through their entire extended lifespan. Yeah. Um, and it was also a very good way of chaining together a lot of things um, because he was at lots of these events, sometimes causing lots of these events yeah. through history that are being referred to. So it made it feel like he was always... A presence this lingering presence um and you didn't entirely know why at the start of the series and it sort of gave this good feeling of you know one of the things those children had always wondered you know ed and alphonse had wondered what would happen to their father and then all the things they uncover slowly lead them to find him to then realize that he wasn't something they were actually really looking for at all and it was a it, re it worked really well as being a character and not just a plot device but also being a thread that could help tie everything together and explain why people were drawn in certain directions and why history had taken these particular turns by giving it a figure that had been you know not you know so not quite puppet masterminding them but definitely trying to yeah no he does tie a lot uh, together and again that idea of the world building uh, and like all the information that you that you need to know the exposition is is done through kind of meaning so we we see because we see the flashbacks of hohenheim leaving and we we see the impact it has on the brothers but we just don't know why he left but we get that answered and even more than i was expecting because i i wasn't expecting him his role to be what it was because he's essentially a walking philosopher's stone after his uh, conflict with with the, the original, I guess, father, I just like uh, call him that. And then you have that tied into the ending 
and his role in that as well. And it's just this amazing kind of, I don't know, it's like storytelling jujitsu. It's just like pieces <laughs> it all together. It's like, okay, all right, I, I got more than I, I bargained for. Another character who I definitely got more than I bargained for is Scar. Uh, and I've mm. mentioned him a couple of times, but I do, I like his arc because he's he's that character who who was wronged like he was he was like him uh and the other Ishvalans were were wrong just on the on the face of it just what happened before you even know why it happened and that envy was the one who's kind of caused it all and the purpose of it was to create you know just ultimate power for for father so even before you get to all that just the the fact of this this genocide so he comes in and he's just hell-bent on on revenge so he's taking out state alchemists because they're the ones that took out his people and he he learns and i feel like a, a big part of his arc is where he's faced with uh winry and again sort of using characters to get that exposition but also uh have them change so he is kind of faced with the consequence of his actions having killed Winry's parents who we learn about sort of you know separate to that their arcs then meet and he has to face her and why one of the things I really like about Winry is that her place in the story is that she she breaks that cycle of, of violence because essentially what Scar is doing he's just perpetuating Scar uh, the cycle of violence he cloaks it in this kind of you know the state alchemists are abomination and they, they shouldn't be allowed to do what they do but he's just you know carrying on the, the cycle and when we when given a chance to get her revenge doesn't follow through with it and i think that's a big part of scar's arc to mm. get him back from the uh from oh he was way past the age but where, where he, he was thinks about back. his own actions because he has we learn you know he has the abilities he has because he has one of his brother's arms yeah. Yes, you know, yeah. and he just has you know an arm of destruction the other one was an arm of healing you know you learn that he is effectively living with this trauma that's you know quite an unbelievable thing and again a consequence of kind of the alchemy and the things of this world and you you sort of he learns that what he is doing is not the wishes of the people he is trying to to sort of commit vengeance for and it was more of an excuse for somewhere to direct his rage and his lack of ability to kind of cope yes. with what happened as much as as much as anything else. Um, and again, they they allow his character to become a fully well-realized character who who learns and um, you know, Envy's death scene is is you know, one of those bits where Envy's there, like, but going, but this person killed all your people. Why don't you yeah, want to kill yeah. them anymore? I just <laughs> don't understand. Poor Envy. Um, <laughs> and he's just there, just going, like, but you, you can't like each other. You're like, you did this to you. You should hate <laughs> each other. I've made it so you should all hate each other. Why don't you, don't, why don't you hate each other? And um, it's just like a little screaming, you know, tiny little squeaky voice child by that point, pointing these things out. And you can see, you know, the sorrow in Scar's eyes because he has committed things that when he looks back at them they weren't justified and they weren't the, the wishes of his own people and he then has to live with the things that has happened to him and the things he has then done and then other people have to forgive him for for their actions and you know the fact that he and Wimry can be in a room together <laughs> mm, after yeah. after all of that point because both can understand each other's stories and each other's experiences and 
just phenomenal amounts of growth from a character that starts off looking like they're just going to be someone who's who's there to to, to blow things up yes because that's literally what i thought he was i thought he was going to come for a few episodes they'd catch him or they'd kill him and then they'd move on yeah it's bait and switch they do that a lot bring in a character make you think it's one thing let them go away for five episodes at a natural point in time the character comes back sort of like hello and their story arc continues and suddenly everything gets fleshed out yeah there's no they do they never fall into monster of the week you know i think the only person that didn't get enough kind of expansion and things was uh lust because she got killed off so quick but they still even they still gave her a reasonable amount of character and you still understood her as a a person but she's Mm -hmm. the only one and it's only because she gets killed off so soon and she's so cool she's amazing um i really like winry's character though because she's strong with she's got like this strength that can get like pushed aside of if you add a character like this into an anime, and I think the the moment a where she for her type type of character that she doesn't yeah. fall into, but she could have, she could exactly. And I think like the moment that she realizes how relevant she is is like really like interesting. How she thinks she's so useless this whole time, but like where would where would Ed and Al be without her? Like where would they be? nowhere like the idea that her like she's like her hands are not meant for taking life they're meant for healing um yeah because that was the moment when she gave well she gave scar a pass well she didn't exact her revenge on scar and that's what ed kind of explained to her like she's not meant to do that yeah well that's her finding her truth exactly and she doesn't want she... revenge and the person who's responsible isn't someone who should be killed and the life life just isn't that simple and she because she then gets a phone call from mail city place and they're all like we need you oh yeah she's like oh my god i didn't realize there was so many people depending on me and that you like how important her support is to people that she's not just she's not just waiting around. She is like fixing Ed every time. Exactly. <laughs> his auto rail. She wasn't just reduced to a, a love interest because yeah. this is like a lot of times what I do like about anime is like because sometimes in, in Western shows or, or or stories you get the the love interest who's just there to be the prize or or whatever it it, it might be and, and it's like in love from the beginning yes and like, it's just like it's first always, right away yeah yeah whereas here it's like not only she's she not just that um she has her own like agency and she realizes she has importance but when they do sort of come to the, the love interest part of the relationship with her uh and ed it's yeah it's, it's not just like oh i i defeated everything now uh, now I have you. It's you know even the way they kind of uh, connect at the end is like the law of equivalent exchange is like the the, the geekiest thing ever. But it, it works for those two characters, um, and it's just like they don't even necessarily because Ed is off like at the end, and he's like he's gonna go and you know do the next stage of his adventure, and, and she's okay with that, and he's because he, she knows he's gonna come back. So it's not like a oh we're gonna marry me <laughs> we're gonna uh, yeah. get a big house and we're gonna have lots of children and uh, and that whole thing it's just uh just an acknowledgement of you know what has been building over these episodes mm-hmm. and then we are also living our independent lives 
is that yeah. that kind of thing which I don't yeah. really well, appreciate. She's not a prize at all, and she has her own arc that she is following through on. And mm. um, they, I liked the fact that you know there there's some teenagers, there's some there's some tension, there's some confusion there between them yeah. and things, which is kind of a, a you know it's presented in very much the natural kind of like slightly awkward, don't know what's yes. going on kind of way, and then it kind of matures and it's so full of respect, like they respect Winry from the start she's she's never the comic relief you know if there's any comic relief it's ed he is the most badass he is the most kick-ass he is the strong super awesome protagonist he is also uh quite small because he's <laughs> given up a lot of his energy to save his brother and you know they constantly make that joke of oh you must be the full metal alchemists and like the massive suit of armor goes no i'm his little brother it's yeah. this guy down yeah. here and you know they use that and he's kind of angry anger at that as a way of showing he's childish and <laughs> mm-hmm. as he as he grows older literally through the series yeah he starts to care less about how others perceive him and things like that and and mature and and it make, gives them that opportunity to not make the love interesting into something really generic and tropey and more just kind of actually mature and and feeling like it like it's valid, like it's real and not just an infatuation. And that realism as well, because like she's just not interested in either of them from like when they were kids and they've grown up together. And it's it's not until we're like halfway through the series that she actually starts to even think about Ed like that. Yeah, there was a moment where where they're walking away and she's like, where well, Ed's shoulders always that broad? Uh, I think that was the moment yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like so it, it it does seem more natural you know the 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 two boys have been like you know in love with her from the get-go mm. <laughs> or they at least they thought they were when they were kids and like even then it's like oh they weren't really in love with her she was just like the girl she was the girl next door and they were kids and that's just how that logic worked and yeah <laughs> and then you see as like ed actually falls in love with her and it goes beyond her just being the girl next door and like because they've also got a bit of like like a sibling relationship when they're younger as well they've grown up together they're they're the only family they've each had and I just I just love how natural and like normal it is it's just so not typical of what you see in a show what you what you watch on how yeah. long well they didn't do any of that nonsense nonsense i'm going to use the word toxics it's very applicable trope which is like the guy just has to prove himself to win her over yeah. there was none of that it's like at the end of the series he isn't there with like all the bodies of his enemies underneath him and like ha ha yeah. now i have won you and she goes yeah. oh my goodness it has none of that you know he basically realizes a lot of his assumptions were wrong uh, that he needs to give up his power that he needs to learn humility and he needs to mature and it all just happens kind of naturally and there's no big you know white wedding nonsense at the end it's yeah. um yeah it's something that 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 happened and yeah he obviously as as you rightly said as he wasn't in love with her when he was a kid um and that's kind of shown with the maturity between ed and al that there's not a rivalry between them over her she's never fought over in that kind of way and there's no bitterness between them in the conclusion of the show like they've They've, they've all just grown up beyond that kind of schoolyard, you know, like kind of behavior. Definitely. And speaking of female characters, I, I have to give a shout out to uh, Olivier Armstrong, Alex's sister. 
I she was the whole amazing. Armstrong family, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a unique family because <laughs> they are not alike at all. But uh, and again, going back to that point about the the world building through the characters and the conflict, because when they go up north to the uh, Briggs's fortress, you see this other world and you see this this harsher world, and that's reflected in her. But she's just like a an awesome leader because again, she like diverts because she comes in as. Almost like um, almost like a caricature because I guess you've got the the woman that has to be so hard in this cold environment leading these these men, but like she then gets like depth added to her, so she has this I guess this this fearsome facade. No, it's not even a facade because it's real. She she's really <laughs> like that. Um, but she's this, got a this... business side. She's got like you know she has a business work mode and she yes. has a a not work mode, and she's very devoted and she's very good. Uh, what she does and the same's kind of true for her brother as well and the relationship between the two of them when you finally like see them together yes yeah you see them fighting um uh sloth like together and you see that she's she does care she and even so you've got the relationship between her uh, and her brother uh, and then her and mustang uh which i particularly like because she doesn't necessarily get on with mustang but she does have respect for them and for him and they're both like they're both leaders in different ways because you see the loyalty they both have from their people. And one of my my favorite <laughs> scenes at the end when she and her brother are fighting uh, sloth, and then the was it the undead army are like running a mark, and they're just like they lost control of that. And the the soldiers like panic, uh, and they're like, "Whoa, we don't know." Who, who, first of all like sloth like that's new we don't know what that is and then you've got these undead things running around and we're just lost but she never loses like a step and they're not even her people as she takes control of them <laughs> she's like what do you, are you because they're after her initially like are you going to kill me or are we going to deal with this thing here like make a choice and she's even like you know as they're pointing the gun at her she's even like you know do it like what are you going to do do it and then she just takes control of the situation and now now they're her people and now she's leading them so i just thought she was amazing yeah she has such a strong sense of duty yeah and things it's like those people had a gun pointed at her but she's more willing to to save them and she knew the way to do that was to lead them because they were panicking. And it never feels like she's doing it for her own grandiose, you know, kind of prideful kind of means. It never feels like she's doing it because she wants medals. It doesn't seem like she cares about recognition. She doesn't work in the middle of nowhere in this freezing cold place because she wants <laughs> accolades and recognition. You know, she yeah. just wants to wants to lead and wants to to do her best and fulfill her duty. And it's such a strong kind of motivator for her and it's really interesting to see that the way they explore that versus who she is kind of when she's not at work no totally so the, uh, there's a bunch of other stuff i want to get to i know we have some questions as well so i want to get to those uh so what i was going to say is if anyone wants to mention any touch on any other characters and then we can get to some of these questions uh, are, are we going to talk about that episode or do we just leave that as too soon <laughs> is that still i know i think we should because we did we did say like oh nigel's gonna know what we're on about yeah. so i feel like we need to at least touch this on is it. The, it, it, the fact that it's it's yeah, yeah. it's still a yeah. meme it's still a yeah. meme like you'll see it on forums and stuff still now and on people's posts and it'll be like that there, there was a meme that went around it was like um 
you know, like the the sheep says bear, the the cow says moo, the dog says daddy, and it's just every comment, <laughs> oh, like a hundred wow. people just saying too soon, too soon, too soon, and it never stops being too soon. I see it like daily on Twitter. It doesn't go away. It is it is one of the most recurring memes and mentioned things in the community. Uh, is is that episode? That's how just horrifically strong it was for anyone that doesn't know what we're talking about uh it's the one where the father obsessed with his own the opposite of the character we were just talking about the father obsessed with recognition obsessed with um other people's opinions of him is willing to sacrifice not only his wife but his own daughter for science experiments in order to have the accolades of his peers and the government um and uh yeah does turns turns the daughter Nigel, how did you, you feel about that episode? Uh, it well, it like it hit because it it showed you it it showed you how terrible people can be. Like, because that is just unconscionable, like in in every sense. And again, like what I like about the show is that it doesn't necessarily pick a side. If we're doing this whole sort of religion versus science, it shows you the the downfall of of a extreme view in either and in this case we're looking at science and uh, a man is like able to sacrifice his own daughter that's like what do you even say about that, <laughs> uh, that yeah. kind of and he's just... proud about it as well yeah he's not... and that's the th- yeah and that's the thing it, it's it's his and yeah. it doesn't achieve his goal either way so like he's so proud of it and it mm. still hasn't achieved his goal because he's so obsessed that he's blinded by yeah. his obsession that he can't even see that it's not even going to achieve the results. And it's just an obsession for recognition because he hasn't done the thing he's claiming. So he knows he's a fraud and he's killed two of his relatives Man. to achieve the status of being a fraud. Yeah. And he doesn't even care. And obviously, you know, that means that that's a time where Ed and Al have to accept that sometimes you do have to kill good people because that chimera creature can't, live you know we see what happens to it um but then interestingly that's kind of contrast later with the we have semi chimera people later in the the show who yeah who do live full lives and um that kind of almost makes you feel back to that earlier moment and going oh if he'd done something differently with that experiment could she still have lived rather than just been a a, just a, a creature in permanent torment um was it just the way he did it is actually the the human animal chimera just purely evil or is it just it was executed in a purely evil way like it just again it makes something that seems so clear cut and such a you know nigh on body horror level of you know just just dread and 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 everybody cries at that episode even if they have no heart and then turn it around and say oh here's a load of characters who've had that done to them who are mostly perfectly happy with it just to throw that assumption out in the air as well. Hmm. Yeah, and it, it does and, show... Oh, go ahead, Tazzy. No, 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 continue. Oh, no, I was going to say that it goes to that idea of like, you know, not necessarily just agreeing with science all the way through, because if you take it to its, you know, cold conclusion, you can end up treating people like that. And, you know, we, we touched on the the comparisons to that kind of pre-World War II Germany, and you, you get that where just speaking about like or treating the daughter like that and speaking about the uh the Ishvalans in that sort of cold way even when you see some of the flashbacks in how uh King Bradley was was made 
almost like the uh, abhorrent version of Captain America um, made <laughs> through the Philosopher's Stone. It's like the way they're treating just humans like science experiments and you see the, the, the downfall of that extreme devotion to any kind of like uh, level of thinking but in that way, you know, in, in terms of science. Well, it's scary because a lot of our scientific accomplishments were achieved that way. And in the real world, not through the power of alchemy, but through things just as horrific. And it really throws a kind of a light on they're living in a world that has profited from actions like this. And so are the rest of us watching it. And that's something that really kind of strikes hard quite, quite a lot when you're watching the show. And they've done it in a way that's not preachy, that's not giving us our own history straight at us. They've done it in a way which is just exploring the concepts and um, you know the things human beings are capable of, good and bad, from you know the auto male and from Winry delivering a baby all the way through to the society being basically powered by the genocide of another. It's just it's such such a wide spectrum of of human experience. Okay, so I want to yeah get to some of these questions. So um, we're gonna actually. First, before we get to these questions, we're going to find out uh, what our guest is up to. So, Bex, if you want to let us know more details on where everyone can find you, any interesting projects you've got coming up. Yeah, no worries. I'm Bex Trista, mostly known as Trista Bites, and I've been making YouTube content for coming up for six years now, believe it or not. And I'm going to be doing some more indie comic book and indie game developer interviews and also interviewing some more world record holding retro games players on the YouTube channel. Uh, also, with all of the shows currently, of course, cancelled, all my onstage stuff has been postponed till at least next year. So I have gone full time on Twitch, where I'm doing a mixture of stuff, including hosting some of the panels I would have been doing at events, but also playing some indie games, playing some retro stuff, hanging out and uh, apparently doing a lot of improv comedy as well. Plus going on many, 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 many tangents, including talking about anime and things like this. Excellent. So we will put links to uh, YouTube and all the other social media in our show notes. And we'll go on to answer some of these listener questions. So we have got together some questions from our listeners across from email and social media. Our first question is from NB. Did Father share the souls of the people of the... I don't know how to say it. Oh, Xerxes. Xerxes. Yeah. (laughs) Equally with... Oh my God, my financial... Hohenheim. If so, when... Then why is father more powerful? Well, father isn't isn't human. He's not made of the same original stuff. Um, Hohenheim is someone who's had their life extended and has taken something into them. Whereas, you know, the, the the creature in in the jar to start with was never human and never had any of those limitations. Um, mm. It's not made of the same original stuff. So, and also is very much for the most part trying to use Hohenheim. So I would never assume that he actually shared things completely equally um because he has no interest in creating an equal and both of them end up trying to power play against each other so i'd say father would be more powerful purely by the virtue of never having had a a mortal form yeah that makes sense yeah i was wondering about that myself like i knew bex would have an answer (laughs) (laughs) 
so our next question is from Kawhi Prince MH. Who is your favorite out of the two Elric brothers and why? Hmm. Well, for me, it's Alphonse, so that's easy. <laughs> <sighs> Any um, reasoning? I, I think he is endlessly just a lovable character. The two brothers are intertwined. I mean, they literally, their souls are connected, right? So the two of them are hugely intertwined and um, their stories wouldn't work without each other at all. But of the two, if I was going to hang around with one of them, it's going to be out. You're going to hang out with Al. <laughs> okay, you? yeah, we well, put it like you that. You know, <laughs> it, it's... it's He's the one that you would want to to spend time with, and he's such his a nice ability, character. Yeah, his ability to be that, his situation when you think about it, is terrifying. He's like mm. a ten year old who doesn't ever sleep, who doesn't ever eat, who's just in this metal form that can be taken apart, or melted down, or could have his insignia scratched off the back of it. He's tied to an inanimate object, and yet somehow. He manages to be there for everyone and be this friend for people and completely and retain, retain his humanity despite mm. not being human. He's effectively a ghost who has no idea to start with anyway if his original body can even be uh, reclaimed for him. And he manages to remain a good person and a child to be able to do that through all of the suffering and just sitting there where everyone else is asleep every night for years. It just shows incredible resilience and love and compassion in a way that, you know, everyone should strive to, to emulate. Uh, you just you sold me on Alphonse, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was struggling with that. I was like, I don't know. But yeah, Alphonse, Alphonse is just is so good. <laughs> it's just, I, and yeah, I just he's can't even... He's sweet and innocent and naive and he has that taken away from him. And he's mm. placed in this horror situation of being an inanimate object and still manages to remain a, a good person and care more about what's right for others than his continued existence. He's willing to, you know, smuggle people inside of him, rescue yeah, animals, no, even um, his enemies. be willing to give up getting his body back if that's the best thing to do and it will kill him. And he's scared and he isn't just some, you know, heroic thing or superhero type character and he kind of could be he's a suit of armor he could utterly exploit that he's not the only suit of armor character in the series as we find out especially once he uh, remembers the truth and can transmute without yeah. a circle he could do whatever he wanted and he didn't <laughs> so at first i was like I can't pick favorites. How could you make me pick a favorite of the two Elric brothers? Tazzy's favorite then... thing to do is pick favorites. <laughs> and then uh, Tristan's gone and said, who would you want to hang out with? And then it's going to be Ed. That made it really easy. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. If we, if we phrase it that way, it's Ed. And it's like, yeah, I was really nice. That would be really hard to spend time with someone that's like <laughs> inherently like amazing all the time, and you'd just be like, I'd feel so like yourself. morally inferior constantly, yeah. and just I'd get bored of that of someone just I don't I don't trust nice people. No one's no one's that nice I in think real with life. Ed, so. It depends like where you are in the story. Like when he's still super headstrong and still quite <laughs> childish, I think after a while you'd be tempted. Just be like, go sit in the naughty step for a while. Oh, um, see, that's what I'm saying. Like, for me, he's not. He'd be interesting. We'd probably have loads of headstrong arg arguments. It'd probably be like, <laughs> how, how, like, him and Winry, like, constantly arguing. But it's, 
out of it's out of love it's out for of a care for each other that, that family bickering kind of thing that's a great state for me uh <laughs> whereas that would drive me berserk <laughs> yeah so for me like I I I feel like uh Al would just be constantly too understanding like I'd be like can I just scream <laughs> and like how can we just have an argument already like this can we just get it out like I I need to get this out of my system um and then yeah I feel like I'd have a lot of fun with Ed and I'd constantly call him small and it'd be hilarious <laughs> I love the fact that our reasoning for liking opposite characters is the same <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd probably take late stage Ed when he has more of a like clear purpose and sense of responsibility, which probably reflects on on me. So there you go. But That's yeah, hard, it, it, it's hard to pick a favorite. Is hard, but to pick who you'd want to hang and I out like with. Picking favorites, but that was hard. Dennis <laughs> <laughs> <Tennis> Ed. <laughs> so yeah, and then we have a few questions from Nab. Sorry, I'm so sorry for butchering. <laughs> Nab Halim, I think that's the I right that's way right. to pronounce Nab it. Halim. Nab Halim, I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, do you think the state alchemists should still exist? Oh, this is an interesting question because it makes me think, uh, essentially when we had our, our discussion on civil war, because ultimately what you're saying, should the government have control over that kind of power? Hmm. I feel this is hmm. a similar thing. So now I'm trying to remember what it's I said. It's a similar thing, but with the state alchemists, you don't have to take the job. There's tons of alchemists that aren't state alchemists in this world. So it's a little bit less clear cut because it isn't just a thing of like everyone who's an alchemist has to work for the government in this one. Yeah, you that's could true. just use your powers to be a really good chef. You know, if you have the power of fire, you could just be like, oh. I can make the best like cakes. <laughs> Mustang as a chef. Hmm. Yeah, yeah you could. <laughs> like you could. Like you might get a bit of pressure off the life. government for that. But um technically you can in that world and it's a bit more worked into everyday life because it's more yeah. accepted rather than being something that's new that someone's trying to legislate. That's a very good point. So I think for that reason, I I think I'm gonna contradict myself on what I said on that podcast. I think I think yes, because then you'd need some kind of check on the people that may use alchemy for for bad so Mm. yeah you can go back and listen to what i said on the civil war and just put (laughs) those side by side and call me a hypocrite but there's my answer yeah alchemy is learn like it's not it's not something you are born with or created into yeah, you might have more of an affinity, but it's effectively like saying, should the people who are the best martial artists in the world not be allowed to work for the military? Because oh, so they've learned how to like do it and people with. are studying it. No, it's not like, I think people are more attuned to it, but it's not like, you're not like... Yeah, no, I get you. I was in my mind, I was like, they're just, there's some can and some no, can't. it's not a superpower. Yeah, that's the thing that makes it quite different is it isn't a superpower. And that's one of the reasons why Ed, with his abilities he's gained that are sort of superpowery is not op because he hasn't learned and practiced as much as other people so uh, people will yes, study for years and years and years to become state alchemists i think it's more of a question of can you trust the state rather than should there be state alchemists in the world they've set up because if you can trust the state then there can Actually, totally be state alchemists they, they can you know you can't <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. yeah. but at the end shows. of the series <laughs> You know, new world order you stuff there. Um, yeah. Because the state alchemists also go to towns that have suffered earthquakes and rebuild buildings. Yeah. You know, they, they 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 do a lot more than 
than just um, things in times of war. They aren't just weapons and the, they do yeah. a lot of world think, building to make sure you see them as more than weapons. I think a difference would be like, should there be like mm, weapon-based state alchemists? Like, should it all, like, do you know what I mean? Like, should acts of aggression through alchemy be banned rather than Ooh. alchemists? I think once is someone's a invented a, yeah, once someone's invented a gun, the general yeah, nature of humans is that everyone's got them. Mm. It's, it's the, yeah, that you're starting to get onto the nuclear deterrent argument at that point, and that's a very tricky one. <laughs> but the question's—that's not what the question is. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. like, <laughs> so um, yeah, because you can use you can use alchemy defensively. It's not like like a nuclear warhead is a nuclear warhead, but alchemy is whatever you make it. Yeah, well, you can use nuclear energy energy for power as well as destruction is kind of the thing. Um, but you can't you use can't, it as a shield, you but you can use uh, alchemy as a shield. <laughs> and a really cool one made of the floor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> a shout out, shout out to the animators who managed to make like using bits of walls and floors into like amazing visuals and the choreography oh. in those fight scenes as well. Uh, so, I mean, part of me wants to say, yes, alchemy should be allowed to be used for aggressive beans because it looks really, really cool. You know, it's Green Lantern levels of creativity going on there. I can't imagine Mustang not using his fire to destruct. We, um, we cannot rob the world of Roy Mustang, so... Yeah, see, it's either that or he's just using it to make toast. No, that's... He'd that's... burn toast. I would not trust him with toast. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. <laughs> the, the toast would need to be very far away. <laughs> um, so, the other question is, why does Ed never wear the state alchemist uniform? I don't know the answer to this. I'm, I never properly considered it. I, I wonder okay. why. I feel like it's a point of rebellion. Like, he doesn't want to become a state alchemist to be a state alchemist. He wants to be a state alchemist to achieve his, his means. His goal, yeah. Like, yeah. it's a means to an end. So that's like him, in, well, that's what I think of it, it's him rebelling against. Well, yeah, he wears his own colours. He is very much on his own mission. And being a state alchemist, is he only becomes one because he needs it to travel around freely and they pay yeah. for all his stuff because he's an orphan otherwise if he didn't need to be one he wouldn't have been one because he rebels against it like constantly <laughs> he doesn't follow the rules no, like, he like, he should, he, like nothing he's completely rebellious and somehow he only gets well we know why he gets away with it but you know at the beginning you're like why did he get away with Maybe all of this yeah. <laughs> yeah that's you know i never yeah. probably considered that but yeah no, he's that, never that totally been aligned sense. with his own government and he'd never even been to like the capital before the beginning of the events of the the series he only went there because he needed the state alchemist's card you know the token the powers that came with that title he, he never cared to be one even with his how he uses his money he's just like yeah, I, know, take exactly. it. I don't care. You take it. Take this money. I don't care. I only need as much as I need. But he, he tells some guy like, you know, here's my card. Go to the bank. Just get some money out. Like, yeah, hey, for the, um, <laughs> the librarian. Yeah, just, just just take the money out, whatever. And they're like, what? <laughs> like he actually does not care. The 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 and the state alchemist status is literally just so he can achieve his his end goal and 
But it's one of the reasons his eyes are open more than some other people, because he's an outsider to see what's going on with the government when he finds himself more stuck in the middle of it. So that rebellion and that the fact he is an outsider and he hasn't bought into the kind of the rules and the beliefs of the structure he's part of allow him to question it. Plus, he's obviously younger and he's not been sort of indoctrinated into into that society in the same way. Um, He is just he is the outsider, but he's got access to everything from a very high level. And if he had been someone that put on that uniform and followed all the rules, he wouldn't have achieved anything he did in the series. Yeah. And then the last is not a question, but a, a comment. Please watch the Brotherhood bloopers. Has anyone watched them? I did not know they were a thing, but now I want to see them. Yeah, they're up on YouTube. Um, I haven't watched them, but I'm aware of them. Okay. I think I'm going to go do that after we finish recording. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for the reminder. Yeah, thank you. Um, so yeah, uh, that is all our listener feedback and questions. Um, just to let you know that if you do want to send your feedback or questions to us, you can do so at feedback at mymadder.com or you can contact us on social media at mymadder on Twitter, at mymaddertees on Instagram or at Tazzy on both. And that brings us to the end of another episode. Uh, one we could have gone on for for a lot longer because we didn't even cover everything in all these 64 uh, episodes of the show. Yeah, I think I could have spoken about the show for longer than the runtime of the show. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? because even as we're going through i was like oh there's things i haven't even written down and mentioned but um thank you for joining us for the time that you did bex no worries thank you for letting me be part of this uh especially since i'm on the show partly because i kind of just demanded to be on on an episode if you ever talked about this that's that's how we work here you uh yeah you make your own shows (laughs) so once you said you'd started watching this there was no escape i was gonna be on the show it was it was it it was it i had to i had to finish i had to bring you back on and we had to discuss and uh glad we did so um so yeah so you can uh if you enjoyed the discussion um you can follow us uh subscribe to us on apple Podcasts and spotify and wherever you get your podcasts from we generally have new episodes on thursday so if you subscribe you will not miss out on anything that's coming up and you can go back and listen to past episodes, including those X amount of episodes that Bex has been on. Uh, you can also check out our stories. We have our own universe of manga. We are working on a new manga called Serious Through the Fog. But until that is out, which I'm writing uh, at the moment, uh, until that is out, you can check out our previous stories from Samurai Chef to Serious Volume 1 and Hot Lunch at myamanda.com forward slash manga. And for the gamers listening, we have our next Gamepad online event coming on January the 16th. You can follow us on Twitch to catch that, uh, YouTube as well, and join our Discord for, I guess, behind-the-scenes access to that event, Uh, but just other stuff that we're going to have coming in the new year. Uh, Other than that, stay tuned for more podcast episodes, including creator interviews, video game discussions, and deep dives into stories across pop culture. Uh, final reminder that our email address is feedback at mymatter.com. You can also check out the website to listen to and subscribe to future episodes. That's mymatter.com forward slash story x story. Until next time, stay tuned and stay safe, everyone. Mm-hmm.